so let's get going today. Hey, wave those booklets at me if you have them, if you have the booklets. That's what I'm talking about. I'm impressed that you guys remember to bring them every week. Did you have to get a new one? You didn't, have you had the same one for four weeks? You brought Jake's? Looking out for your husband. Lord knows he was a bad student. He was the guy always asking for a pencil and a piece of paper and all that, all that good stuff. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that was in week one. But here we go. So let, let me catch us up a little bit. We're going to be on page 13 and 14 today. But let me catch you up if you're new here. Let me catch you up if you've missed a couple of weeks. Week one, we talked about multiplying in your identity. And I kicked off this series about talking about a consumer culture. Remember the dwarfs in the book of the last battle. Remember their rallying cry. The dwarfs are for the dwarfs. All they did was consume and consume and consume. I'll get back to that story in just a minute. And then week two and three, we talked about multiplying in your gifting. We, we started to discover what God has placed inside of you. We looked at Ephesians chapter four. And do you remember the three types of ships? The three types of ships that the Western culture church has become, the first ship was a cruise ship. And churches are acting like we're just going to have the latest and greatest. We're just going to perform for others and and individuals will come into a church and they'll just consume and consume and consume and take and take and take. I like the way that pastor preaches, so I'll just consume it. I like that worship music, so I'll just consume it. I like what they do after church and events and groups. I'm just going to consume and consume, but I'll never give anything back to the church. It's not the way to live. We talked about another type of church that we've seen in the last decade and really more recently the last three to five years, but but churches act like battleships. And individuals will sit in the congregation, they'll be a part of a church as long as, as long as they stand for the things that I think should be talked against in society. As long as they're a red church or as long as they're a blue church, as long as it's a vaccinated church, as long as it's an unvaccinated church or a mass church or or not a mass church, or as long as they talk about and you can fill in your blank, but as soon as the church doesn't stand for my cause, we forget the Bible, as soon as the church doesn't stand for my cause, then I can no longer be a part of it. We've seen that in Western society. But, But the type of ship that we believe that churches should act like our aircraft carriers. Where individuals come in on a Sunday morning, they're a part of a greater community for one purpose, to be refueled and sent back out. Not to just consume and consume and consume. Not to just fight a battle and point the guns, but to be airdropped into other locations to be able to spread the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. And, And then we talked about Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. And many of you emailed me last week about the APES test. I have intentionally not sent it out yet. I had someone corner me earlier, Katie Murdoch, and she said, where's my test? And and I told her, I promise promise you it's coming, but I wanted to give it one more week. I'm going to send those tests out next week. But if you want to take that APES test that we talked about last week, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, email me anyway. I'll send it to you. But my email's on the screen, zwit at multiply.church. Jot that in your notes, and you can uh, send, send me that email kind of requesting that test. And I laid out the five giftings last week, and we had the video. And if you remember, I used the illustration of the matrix. It's red pill, blue pill time. 
You have a choice to make. You can either ignore what God is revealing through Ephesians chapter 4, or you can fully step into it. So here we go, week number four. I want to talk about another concept, multiplying and generosity. Multiplying and generosity. Pastor, are we talking about money today? Absolutely. If you're new, you picked a great day to come because I'm talking about money. I promise you we're not a church that talks about money every single week. But I, I made you a promise. Every, t- every single time I stand on this stage, I'm going to preach the fullness of the Bible. I- I'll preach on anything that the Bible talks about. And can I remind you that the Bible talks about money? So don't get uncomfortable. Don't get weird on me. I'm going to teach you through this today. So on page Number 13, let me ask you this question. Have you ever met a miserable, generous person? Have you ever met? You have it, right? Because people who give of themselves are always willing to do so. And here's the caveat. If they aren't, then they're giving for gain rather than giving to serve. So if you meet a miserable, generous person, I would look back at that person and say, what are you trying to get out of giving? What are you trying to obtain? Let's go all the way back to elementary school. Where's my math nerds? Any math nerds in the room? I pride myself on being good at, at short math. Paul, if you, if, you remember, if you remember this past week, we were standing in our little group. Brittany, you were there, and, and Nicole made a comment. She said, Zach, you're really good at math. And I felt that, like I felt it in my soul. Like I, I like being good at like quick addition and, and quick subtraction Quick division, that, that, you know, off the head multiplication. Anybody else in the room? Like, just, okay, so you, you I, I love that. I, I love the fact, my wife's like, what's 10% of this bill? I'm like, really? Like, like y'all didn't get that joke? Okay, anyway. <laughs> 10% should be really easy. I know who's not the math nerd in the, in the room. But, but I pride myself on being good at math, so much so when I was in ninth grade, my algebra teacher, he, uh, he made me take a test. We had the test given out. Now I turned the test in in about 15 to 20 minutes, and, and this particular teacher would always grade right in front of you. Like, that was his rule. You stood in front of his desk, and he just started grading. And it's like, you, you're going to know if you're going to pass or fail right away. Well, I made a 93 on the test, and he kind of looked at me. Everybody else was still working. He said, Zach, hey, I need you to stay after class. All right, no, no problem. See, he thought that I cheated on the test. How? I don't know because I turned it in first. Maybe he thought that I got the answers from someone else that took the test in a previous period, but I had to stay after class. I'm like, next period is only lunch. It's not like I want to eat. Sure, I'll, I'll stay and take the test over again. So he handed me the test. Now, here's the thing about algebra. I always just wrote down the answers. I just kind of did it in, in my head. And not that I'm some type of genius. We're talking like simple algebra kind of stuff. So he said, okay, you have to take the test. Again, don't, don't show your work and, and turn the test in when you're finished. Another 15, 20 minutes went by. I turned the test in, and he started to grade it in front of me, and I didn't make a 93 that time. I made a 96. So, so like, I was excited that I could do math, but, but I, love, I love math. And I know that there's people in the room that hated taking math classes. Can I see those hands in the room? You absolutely hated math. In fact, your response to some of the upper level math was, I'll never use this a day in my life. I don't care what grade I'll get. You're having a spiritual moment. (laughs) But but let's really take a look at this thing. Let's look at this idea of basic math. Let's look at division and subtraction and addition and multiplication. This is what I know about math. I know that the devil is all over division. We can see that in our society, right? 
As long as the enemy can divide the church. As long as the enemy can divide a marriage. As long as the devil can divide relationships and friendships. And as long as the enemy can, can play at this division game, then he knows he has a chance at ruining our life. Because what we know is a unified front is harder to beat. A unified front is harder to overcome, but once you're divided, the enemy can run havoc on all of us. And then you have subtraction, addition, and multiplication. And I think the vast majority of the world lives here. Take a look at those lines. I think the vast majority of the world lives between subtraction and addition. Go all the way back to week number one. This is the cycle of consumerism. Remember, I talked to you about the dwarfs. I just mentioned them. I mentioned them week one. But, but remember the dwarfs in the C.S. Lewis story, the more they ate, the emptier they felt. The more they ate, the more envious they got. And in our culture, if we're living between subtraction and addition, this is exactly the way that we live our life. The more I eat, the emptier I am. The, the more that, that I eat, the emptier and more envious I am. The more I obtain, the more I want. I got the bigger house, but the family down the street got a bigger one. I, I got the new car, but, but the family next door got two new cars. When we, had, we had a kid, but, but the family down the street has three kids. I, I got the raise that I wanted, but, but if I could only make this amount, and what we do is we're always playing this consuming game. If I could just have more, I want to buy this, eat this, drink this. I want to accomplish this, sell this. My paycheck is this. The house that I'm in is this. But I want that. It's the dwarf spirit. And it causes us to think small and live small. See, my guess is that about 90% of people live in this cycle. They, they live between subtraction and addition. And we have this preconceived notion that once we accept Christ, we get to move out of this cycle and move into multiplication. That would be nice. But the truth is, most Christians just slap a Jesus label on their consumer habits and consumer mindsets. So we obtain just enough materialism to feed the beast, but we have just enough Jesus from keeping us from feeling too guilty. Now listen, I'm not against having nice things. I, I like having nice things. Okay, like I like being able to the idea of getting a, another house or a different house one day. I, I like the idea of maybe getting a new truck one day. Right. Like I like the idea. But but catch this. It's the difference between materialism and thinking we have to attain that to reach some type of spiritual level and understanding that everything that we get flows from heaven as God is is sending that through us. Worse yet, not only do we accommodate the gospel to our consumerism, we actually become spiritual gluttons. We consume spiritual products. We just consume worship. We just consume a sermon. We just consume small groups, and we're never willing to give of ourselves. For just a moment, can we just collectively repent? So really, for just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, can we just pause and pray? Can we say, God, we repent? We, re we repent from our consumerism. We repent for treating the cross and the precious blood of Jesus like a product on a shelf. God, we want to break the spirit of consumerism and move into multiplication. God, you've given us an identity. 
You've given us gifts inside of us. Teach us to multiply in generosity. And all God's people said, amen. So, so let's kick off with Luke chapter 16, verse 11. Let me read this to you. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, man, if you haven't been trustworthy with the paycheck, if you haven't been trustworthy with your bank account, if you haven't been trustworthy with the green stuff, then Jesus says, who will trust you with true riches? L- let me put it to you this way. If I have to leave the country for an entire month, and I give you the resources to take care of Jenna and to take care of my girls, and I come back, I promise you, if you didn't take care of them, I will never trust you with anything else in my entire life. Not only that, I'm going to be ticked at you. Not only that, if you didn't take care of my girls, we're probably going to fight. Zach, you're a pastor. Don't care. I'm hitting you in the nose if you didn't take care of my girls. Right, right, because that, that's how much I care for them. That's how I feel about my family. If you didn't take care, if I gave you all the resources to take care of my family and you decided to hoard it for yourself, there's going to be issues. In the same way, I feel like that's how God has entrusted us. I've given you everything you need to take care of the world. How are you stewarding what God has given you? Let me put it to you this way. It's in your book. How you handle finances is not the end of discipleship. It's the entry level. Better yet, your ministry won't grow beyond how you handle money. I want to take a look at a story in the book of Genesis. I've preached on this uh, passage before. But I feel like this is one of those stories that we'll kind of continually preach on. Because I feel like it's one of those stories that will shape us and it will mold us. It's kind of like those stories you share during the holiday season. It's like Thanksgiving, Christmas, your family rolls around and you always share like the story of the family. Does anybody have like any family stories they always share? Toby, I bet that you're looking at your wife like, do we? I'm sure your boys can tell me every story I need to know about you. But we have one of those stories kind of like that um, in, in the Multiply family. So if, you, if you're not familiar, we have six different locations. Pastor Doug Witherup is our senior lead pastor over the network. And, and Paul, one of the stories that I love is when you first came on the team. And it's like that story we always share. So if you don't know anything about Pastor Doug, I'm sure you're going to watch this later. I'm calling you out. You're terrified of snakes. It's okay. We'll pray for you. But Pastor Doug hates snakes. One of our first events where, where Paul was there, we were on a staff retreat, about four or five of us walking through the woods, and, and Wesley was in front of me, and I'm kind of walking behind him, and there was another pastor somewhere behind me, and, and I think Pastor Doug was like the last person at the line, and Paul was next to last, so there, we're probably about as wide as this stage is long, and Wesley's up front, and he comes to this limb, and he says, whoa, there's a snake, and, and about that tone, and, and immediately I look back, and Pastor Doug generously sacrificed Paul towards the <laughs> snake as he ran the other way. Like, not, not an exaggeration. But that's like one of those stories that we love to share about the family, and that's how I feel about this scripture in Genesis. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter 14, starting in verse 17. After his return from the defeat of Kedorlamir and the kings who were with him, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavah, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine 
He was the high priest of God most high, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the person, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I want to talk today about two financial kingdoms in your books on page number 14, the kingdom of Sodom and the kingdom of Salem. And the kingdom of Sodom is called the kingdom of taking, and the kingdom of Salem can be called the kingdom of giving. So you have Abram, and he's met by these two kings, the kingdom of Sodom and the kingdom of Salem. And and the kingdom of Salem is giving things to Abram. The kingdom of Sodom is saying, take what you want. And Abram steps back for just a second, and he says, I'm not going to take any of these worldly possessions, lest you say you made me rich. He acknowledges that everything flows from heaven. Everything flows from heaven. When you live in the kingdom of Sodom, what happens? Give you some geographical understanding of what's going on. Sodom is right next to the Dead Sea. Go ahead and put that picture up of the Dead Sea. A few facts about the Dead Sea is that there's no plants, there's no fish, and and there's no sign of life in the Dead Sea at all. In fact, it's the lowest point on earth, and it's getting lower and lower every single year. Now, when I say there's no life, and there's no fish, and there's nothing that's going on, it it almost feels like it's stagnant. But when I look at this picture, it doesn't look like something that's stagnant. It doesn't look like something that's beautiful. To me, this is a beautiful picture. I remember when I floated in the Dead Sea, like you can literally just lay there and float because there's so much salt content in the Dead Sea. And I I remember being there, and I remember thinking it's absolutely beautiful. The problem is that's what consumerism can look like. It can look absolutely beautiful. And the more I get, it can look good. The bigger house, it can look good. The new car, it can look good. The materialism stuff, it can look good. But the reality of it is there's no flow and there's no life. I can work and I can work and I can work and I can try to get ahead, but I feel like I can't catch a break and I just don't understand where my money is going. It feels like it's shrinking every single year. The kingdom of Sodom. But let's take a look at the kingdom of Salem. Go through these kind of quickly. In the kingdom of Salem, there is peace. The name or location for Salem in Hebrew actually translates into peace. The second point is this. There is blessing. Verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram. Blessing, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. The, the third point is this if you're taking notes, you draw closer 
to Jesus. Where's my, where's my theology nerds in the room? I love, like, theology nerds. Nobody? I mean, y'all need to read your Bible some more. Thank you for being one and kind of slightly raising your hand. I think Brian's getting the count <laughs> right now. But let, let me teach you something today. Melchizedek is actually a type of Christ in the Old Testament. Quite possibly, a lot of scholars will say this, that possibly he's even Jesus' pre-incarnate appearance in the Old Testament. So, so this is what you need to know about that statement. This is where I think most of us miss it in our understanding of giving. You're not giving to Multiply Church. You're not even giving to Jesus through Multiply Church. You're giving directly to Jesus. Abram gave directly to Melchizedek. He gave a tenth of everything directly to the kingdom of Salem. Number four, you gain access to resources, to the resources of heaven. Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Possessor of what? Possessor of absolutely everything. Possessor of it all. This is what I know. You can either live life according to the resources that you have access to, or you can live life according to the resources that God has access to. I promise you, I would rather choose the latter any day of the week. Number five is this. You live in victory. Verse 20 says this, And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Delivers your enemies. It's past tense. You live in victory. I'm not talking some type of name it and claim it kind of deal. I'm not talking some type of weird prosperity gospel thing. But you're going to live in victory. Bonus point is this. It's not in your book. But and as I was reading, it just made sense. You declare that man is not your source. God is your source. Verse 23. That I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Remember, Abram is talking to the kingdom of Sodom. He's talking to the king of Sodom. He says, listen, I'm not taking anything from you because if I take anything from you, then you're just going to be able to say that you gave it all to me. I'm not going to acknowledge you. I'm going to acknowledge God. I think the problem in our society is we've said something along the lines of look at what I've obtained. Look at what I have gathered. I worked hard. I went out and got the degree. I went out and started the business. I went out and got the new contract. I got out and worked 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours a week. I'm the one that started the side hustle. I'm, I'm the one that did, did this. Opposed to saying, nah. No, God did it all for me. God's the one that set it up. God, God's the one that gave me the idea. God's the one that nudged me and challenged me. God's the one that was faithful. God's the one that, that just told me to call that person that set up that business deal. God did it. God did it. I want to share a text message that was sent to us by one of my buddies, Ryan Cook. He wrote this. He said, hey, bud, hope you're having a great day. Just wanted to share an awesome testimony with you on tithing and God's faithfulness. One year ago, this past Sunday, my family and I were in a tight spot financially. My wife and I were both working multiple jobs, 
trying to pay our bills and my wife was also pregnant and due in a few months and she'd be out of work soon. My second job was having its own financial troubles so checks were inconsistent. And I really didn't know what we were going to do on a single family income once my wife stopped working. It seemed like we could never get ahead but I stayed consistent and I tithed my 10% every Sunday and even paid bills a little late to give my 10%. Well, fast forward two Sundays ago, almost a year later, and things have improved, but I didn't realize how much they had improved. I was reevaluating the amount that I had been tithing because unfortunately, with everything being automated, I just forgot to update it as time, as time goes on. And I was blown away at what the Lord had done in our finances in just one year. After reevaluating where my tithe should be at, I realized I could increase my weekly tithe by five times what I was already paying last year. Five times as much, but that wasn't all. I looked over the events of this past year and I just saw how much God had done. He blessed us with way more than just returning the 10%. The past year, the same business I was working for took off financially and increased my pay significantly. I had more photography work than I had ever had before, so much so that my wife was able to stay at home with our daughter full-time. I paid off $12,000 in debt and saved another, another $12,000 all in a year. I was really blown away to see how amazing and faithful our God is. Even though I'd always tithe from a small age, I had never been pressed like I was last year. And yet through that pressing, God was able to make something so much sweeter come from it. So much sweeter. I think we look at money sometimes and we get uncomfortable talking about it in church. But, but this is what I know. I'm called to preach the Bible. I'm called to preach it in its entirety, even if it makes me feel uncomfortable. Can I be honest with you? Can I, like, I'll, I'll step down here so you know. Like, your boy did not want to preach this today. I didn't want to talk about money, and the reality of it is I was convicted. I was convicted. I felt like the Lord dropped something in my heart along the lines of, what, you mean you don't want to talk about what I said? You would rather talk about what you say? <laughs> no. <laughs> but these concepts and these principles are all from Jesus. Many of you know Josh Randall's. He's, he's one, of my, one of my best friends, and I always kind of talk to him about the series that are coming and the messages that are coming and, and what I'm going to be talking about. And then we've been talking about finances for a while. We've been talking about tithing. He said, oh, this is a, this is a simple, like this is a simple sermon, two-point sermon. Two point, you can do it in two points. You can do it in five minutes. I said, all right, share with me how, how I would do that gave me these two points. So this is from Josh's standpoint as if he were preaching because your pastor would never say something like this. I can blame it on him also because he's not here. <laughs> and I know he's not here. We're driving back today. But he wanted me to ask everyone. I'm not going to do this, okay, so don't stand up. But he wanted me to ask everyone in the room, if you got a paycheck last month, then stand up. Again, don't stand up. But, but think about it. Think about if you got a paycheck last month. He said the second point is very simple. Tell everyone to pull out their phones and open their calculators and type in what they made last month. And then type in multiply by .10 and hit equals. He said it's very simple. That's what the Bible tells you to give each month. 
let me ask you this question. Does God really have access to all of your life or just the areas that make you feel comfortable? Does God actually have access to your life in its entirety? Does God have access to your bank account? Does God have access to your paycheck? Does God have access to where you give or how often you give or how much you give? Or is it just when you feel comfortable? Or is it just when you feel like you have enough stored up so you're, you're comfortable giving now? Church, 1% isn't 10%. 5% isn't 10%, 9% isn't 10%. 10% is always 10%. Go ahead and put those four ways to give back up. H hear me in this. This isn't some type of giving tactic. This is a principle of heaven. This isn't some type of prosperity gospel nonsense. This isn't pay some money to see what you get. This is simply what the word of God says. I told you, if you come to this church, I'm going to preach the fullness of the Bible. So here's the call to action. If you call Multiply Church home, then tithe. Give to kingdom builders. Maybe you feel a little uncomfortable in this moment. Maybe that's just God nudging you. Let's give God every single area of our lives, even in our finances. As the worship team steps back in, let's end with this question. What can God flow through you to impact the kingdom? Stacy, would you lead us in?